Welcome to Trends and Tensions, presented by BHDP, where we discuss trends in architectural and interior design and the competing priorities or tensions that arise from integrating new ideas into existing organizations, enterprises, and institutions. This episode, we are joined by Amy Malmstrom, lead architect on BHDP's workplace team, and Drew Susco, workplace market leader, to discuss findings from our most recent virtual roundtable discussion, The Resilient Workplace, The Long View. I'm your host, Brian Trainer, a workplace strategist for BHDP, and I'll let our guests introduce themselves further. Amy Malmstrom with BHDP. I'm a licensed architect and I've been with BHDP for 13 years on the workplace team. Thank you, Amy. And Drew, welcome back. Introduce yourself, please. Thanks, Brian. Drew Susco. I'm an architect like Amy. I'm a client leader on the workplace team, and I am the steward for our roundtable community. And that's what we're here to talk about today, right, Drew? The roundtables that have been going on, the Resilient Workplace series, as it's become. And we just had our third one, correct? Yeah, that's correct, Brian. Yeah, so ever since the pandemic started, uh, we've been looking for ways to maintain our connections to our clients, extremely important for us as we try to kind of work through the challenges that they're facing. We recently had one in late September, the third in our series. And this one was a little different because we began to shift the conversation away from what should we do in the immediate present to manage our way through the pandemic to in two to three years time, when we look back on this, what will we have learned and can we begin anticipating what the future might hold so that we can start moving our organizations in that direction today? Yeah, because you can only talk so much about the same topic over and over before people are like, okay, well, what's next? And so that was the goal of this one was to try to push to that, right? Yeah, it really was. And I, I think, especially in the early days of the pandemic, you know, there was a lot of confusion, a lot of unknowns, and especially in the corporate real estate community. As you know, as I mentioned, I work in the workplace market. No one's an expert right. <laughs> in, you know, the medical profession, right? Or public health or any one of those things. So, you know, our ability to to make strong recommendations was somewhat limited. Yes, uh, there are a lot of experts out there. And yes, I think really smart people were reaching out to those communities. But the longer and longer we stay away from each other, because we're not solving the core problem, which is we don't have a vaccine and a, a stable solution to the pandemic, I think the implications for the way that we work are becoming more real as people get comfortable, quite frankly, working in this environment, as businesses build systems to enable themselves to continue working in this way. And for a number of other reasons, that's really why we began shifting the conversation. What was the framework of this roundtable? How was it set up? Yeah, so this roundtable, we had maybe 50 to 60 end users in the roundtable. We've broken it into basically three parts, you know, like a like a good play. So act one, as it were, was really around lessons learned. So we focused and, and had a number of breakouts with those 50 plus people to have a smaller scale conversation around, you know, what were the more or less the sustainable takeaways from every organization, had some good sharing there. Act two was focused on developing a new definition for the workplace. The place part of workplace has shifted. <laughs> the place has become home. And so, you know, if you're a, a manager of corporate real estate or a leader of corporate real estate, the stark reality now is that the portfolio now extends to the home office. And that has obviously implications for the way that organizations operate. And then the third act in our three act play was what we call the long view, which was, as I mentioned before, you know, if we were to take a leap forward and look back in time, what do we collectively believe as a group will be the long-term ramifications for the workplace. Absolutely. Amy, you helped facilitate some of these sessions, right? And I did. what came out of it? Anything interesting? Like what lessons were learned in the lessons learned? Yeah. 
This was actually my first roundtable, so it was actually a very interesting platform. I, I like the format of it. I, the virtual environment actually allowed more people to join the conversation, which I think helped out quite a bit. So we got a lot of diversity out of the, the various clients and sizes of clients, location. So when we started talking about lessons learned, um, obviously everybody has a different lesson, right? It was challenging for some that had never been virtual before. It certainly was very easy for other clients that had been virtual for a long time and already were kind of living in that environment. It was a small tweak. So one of the takeaways was really that it's, it's an imperfect experiment. Everyone's still learning and trying to figure out where their organization wants to go and how it's going to function. They also saw a lot of ideas around shared humanity and how the shift in the, in the mindset of the organization and the folks that they're working with uh, was really actually very positive. It was humbling for a lot of people. You got to see kind of inside people's homes, sitting with them in their living rooms as their kids were running around in the background. And folks were making the best that they could out of it and getting their work done at the same time. But at the end of the day, people miss each other. They're missing those connections, those casual collisions that you get in the office, the ability to say hi as you grab a coffee and talk about what you're doing that day or next week, challenges that you're having. So that connection, that human connection is something that you're still trying to keep via Zoom and uh, Teams and other platforms, but obviously that human connection is something that folks are really missing and want to get back to if possible. Yeah, it's like, how do we get the human connection back, but I still don't have to commute because I don't miss right. that. <laughs> that 30 minutes is really nice to have in the morning and at night yeah. in, some, in some cities much longer, right? Indeed, indeed. So, Drew, did you have any similar or different things that you heard with your group? Yeah, we talked a lot in, in um, across the groups actually around the impact of productivity um, specifically, especially in terms of the early months of the pandemic. I think the reality is, especially for um, folks who you know are strong individual contributors, saw an uptick in productivity from those folks because you know the they didn't have standing meetings on their calendar yet <laughs> in yeah. this virtual format, right? They weren't uh, launching into you know endless Zoom meetings yet or endless Teams meeting yet. Across most of the organizations that we talked to, the r reports of productivity being up or at a minimum stable were, were relatively consistent. But I think the reality is, and we've seen this from data and research, that people are working longer hours. So we already just mentioned the commute, right? People are trading that commute for more time at the screen. And the lines between home and office or work and life or however you want to demarcate those two things, they have irreversibly blurred. And that isn't to say that that wasn't happening before but it's become more stark, I think, now than it ever has been. Um, and so that really is a, a challenge to manage. For a lot of organizations, we're, we're starting to ask questions when we do surveys or get the opportunity to interact with folks You know, around, one, do you believe productivity has increased? And two, do you believe that you're working longer hours? And if they say yes to both of those things, then the, the risk to burnout is, is real. Um, and it's something that I think most leaders should be keeping their eyes on. The other thing I'd love to mention is you know, I think as it pertains to these misconnections, right? I think both of the places, the, the home and the, the office or what we remember from the office have a purpose. The central challenge in workplace design before the pandemic was how to accommodate people's competing demands for places to isolate and get stuff done individually and places to come together with others. And I think, you know, as Americans, right? We all were taking on too much work. And so in those early days, we were able to clear that backlog of work, right? And, and get that independent time to actually get stuff done. But the longer we remain apart from each other, and as Amy, as you mentioned, 
the, the more we begin to miss people. I think the biggest risk is to, to culture. You know, all of those casual connections, all of those bumping into each other, that's what culture is built from, right? It's not the structure. It's actually the lack of structure that really forms the culture of most organizations. You know, the virtual environment really is a poor substitute for that. And so that's a real risk. And I think that's one of the key lessons that most organizations are learning. It's interesting that you both mentioned people as one of the topics. So there's a human connection and the people factor seemed to come up a lot. I was honored to facilitate one of the sessions too. And I remember though, uh, years ago at IFMA, which is you know the International Facility Managers Association, there were a lot of sessions around how to bring the C-suite to the table, like how to have a conversation with executives. And one of the things I heard is that executives are suddenly more accessible in this format, not for everyone, but for certain companies, suddenly, you know, you're seeing their face more, maybe you've seen their living room, and uh, some of them are given regular updates, like ours do. And they felt like that the the C-suite is more involved with real estate. And so like the, the silo of real estate as a profession alone, that's changed too. Have you heard, like, Amy, have you heard about them talking with any other group types? You know, because like, so now it's, Real estate and executives are discussing what are we doing about the future. Um, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, that was one of my main takeaways that I heard from a number of the sessions. It's actually just a lot more people are part of the conversation today than they have been in the past, where in years past, it might have just been real estate working directly with a business unit or something to that nature. But now um, the leadership are part of it. HR is part of it. They're asking people, what do they need to make their day go better, their jobs be more successful? A lot of engagement through surveys, focus groups. Like I said, just, just really kind of digging deep and asking folks how they're feeling, what's working, what's not working, and then getting that leadership perspective and buy-in is really important. Yeah, and that was really part of the emerging workplace conversation, right? So part two of the three-part play was what are you doing now? Was there anything else from what folks are doing now? Any other revelations from that engagement? So as, as Amy mentioned, I think a lot of organizations are kind of taking three approaches to try and wrap their arms around what the, the future might hold with respect to the emerging definition of workplace. You know, some organizations are taking the more or less a tops down approach. <laughs> Executives are trying to figure out and, and align on a number, right? What percent of the workforce will remain remote indefinitely? And you know, part of the reason that, quite frankly, is financially driven. So the, there's this kind of top down view. There's a, a middle out view, which is to say, you know, most middle managers have a pretty good grasp on how effective their, their people are and, and what their people need. And so a lot of our partners and, and peers and clients are digging in at that level and working with the management tier more, more or less to try to figure out, I guess, the emerging needs of the workforce. And the third way is just to broadly survey folks and ask. And one of the things we're learning when we take that approach is there's kind of this 20-60-20 rule emerging, which is kind of weird. Cool. So the 20-60-20 is if you ask in the future, if we can assume that the, the workplace environment is, is safe and stable to return to, and if given the option to either work from there or work from home, what would be your primary preference? So if we ask that question in that very, very wordy way, what we yeah. find is that about 20% of the workforce um, says, I want to come into the office every single day. I prefer working in, at the office because that is where work happens, right? And those, so these people essentially segment their life for the office. Then there's 80% that say, I'd prefer to work from home. But if you dig in a little bit deeper, what you find is if you ask them, well, okay, if you prefer to work from home, do you foresee yourself coming into the office a few days a week? And so that 80% can be broken down further into 20% that say zero. <laughs> I don't want to come in at all. 
I don't need to come in. Uh, I can get what I need to get done from home. And then that 60% is really now the new challenge to manage to. Uh, and that 60% of what we're starting to call the hybrid workforce. So these are folks who basically say, I'd prefer sometimes to work from home. I'd like to be given the option to work from home. But I recognize that some of what I need to do is highly dependent on others. And I'd like the option to be able to come into the office to, to work with the rest of my team periodically or to connect to the culture or to get away from home. And so, you know, that 60% is really now the new challenge to manage to. And I think the old world thinking would have been to try to figure out, you know, if those folks needed seats or not. Right. right. And that's really what a lot of the conversation has been historically. Okay. Well, if there's a 60%, do they get a dedicated seat? Don't they get a dedicated seat? If we went back to the lessons learned conversation, well, when those folks come into the office, they're going to be coming to connect with others. That is going to be the primary reason why they're coming in. And typically those connections aren't occurring, you know, in a, in a workstation, they're occurring in other places. So I think one of the things we're learning about the emerging workplace is there's a really an opportunity to transform the way in the manner in which we collaborate um, or we design for collaboration going forward, especially considering that some of that collaboration will be both physical and virtual simultaneously, which is a challenge that most organizations haven't, haven't yet resolved. Yeah, that was something that we uh, dealt with last night. We actually had a group of people in the room together, all socially distanced, wearing masks. And then there were other folks on the phone again. And it went right back to what it was before, where the folks in the room were running the conversation. You know, mm -hmm. and you had to interject. Well, and it puts at risk, right, the notion of empathy and the notion of democratizing interactions that we kind of mentioned before, right? And, you know, one of the benefits of this has been you and I are the same size square. <laughs> so, yeah, exactly. You know, we're on a level playing field and, and that's at risk potentially moving forward if we revert to old behaviors. Indeed. So we talked a little bit about lessons learned and some about the emerging workplace, but the third one was the long view. And that looking into the future seemed to be the part that folks struggled with. Amy or Drew, did you guys have any different experience where people were able to get beyond that and look to the future? The folks that I spoke with, uh, they did struggle quite a bit. A lot of them were were very stuck in today, and they're trying to just figure out today or maybe next week or next month. Thinking about you know two years from now was something that was almost too challenging to work through, right? I think a lot of the questions that they were asking us is, how do you work through it? What are the right questions that you ask? Who are we supposed to be talking to? A lot of it came down to continuing to test and learn, working with their folks that were interested in coming back, the folks that were interested in coming back part-time. Uh, how do they start to adapt some of those environments to first of all, be safe, but then start to help facilitate some of those things that folks are missing. We heard a lot about, we're gonna test this out or we're gonna try out this outdoor environment so folks can get together. Yeah, did you, Drew, did you experience the same? Yeah, yeah, we definitely did. It's much more challenging to anticipate what we don't yet know. And so that's why we kind of structured the conversation in the way we did. You know, I think if we had some success, it's it's really in recognizing that a component of this is here to stay. If we embrace that, we take it as a you know a design challenge to solve for. I think it has the potential to transform the way we work going forward, and maybe even to improve the conditions of the workplace for the foreseeable future. Again, if you went back to that preference question, I mean. People want some degree of this in their lives, right? They'd like the choice, they'd like the autonomy. And so if we can figure out a way to enable that and then simultaneously connect people, both in the physical and virtual world, in some modified version of the workplace, I think it's a huge opportunity for us. 
I joked at the round table that there was a story that emerged from one of the groups that I led. In the early 2000s, there were a lot of images flying around the internet of people sitting on beaches with their laptops, right? The, the whole four-hour work week idea. And if you look at those images, you'd know that, you know, it's completely a false notion because you couldn't work like that. You could work like that independently, but you couldn't be connected to a large organization. You know, and there's the, no power outlets at the beach. The infrastructure wasn't there, right? You know, <laughs> yeah. the infrastructure is there now to perform work in that way, not saying we should work that way. But if we were to look at the modified version of the workplace, you know, we just mentioned this democratized interaction, right? Most workplaces don't have collaboration settings where, you know, you have multiple screens where people who are not in the room can join the room and that you can interact with them, right? That's a new design challenge to solve for because that's probably the reality going forward. Simultaneously, I, I mean, I think there are some real savings, you know, both from an economic standpoint and then also from a personal standpoint that we're realizing right now. You know, uh, Brian, you and I spent a ton of time on the road <laughs> and we're not doing that right now. So our clients aren't paying for us to travel. Our, our business, we're not footing the bill for us to travel. We're getting those hours back in our personal lives. You know, so there are some real savings to be had. And if we can figure out a way to modify our physical environments to make that a permanent thing, there's maybe some benefit. Now, we learn a lot in those travels and, <laughs> yeah. you know, sometimes it's good to get away and, and have new experiences. So I'm not saying that that shouldn't be something we do going forward, but I am saying, you know, yeah. the, the future, it's going to look different. And I think recognizing that as an opportunity to embrace is probably the, the biggest takeaway from this third round table, rather than to try to tackle the problem using old thinking, pin people down into buckets, sure, <laughs> figure yeah. out the percent, you know, or the average, because average is Are you an introvert or an extrovert? <laughs> right. Over here. Oh, well, actually, yeah. I'm an ambivert. I, I, right. It's yeah. It's much more complicated. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. So I mean, for um, years, the conversation has been around providing choice, right? And now the home is really a more prominent choice than it has been previously or something that some businesses and management were fighting against. I think some of the folks in the, in the round table felt that their workforces had proven that that home life could be a solution where they didn't see it as a possibility before. And that leadership relaxed those concerns that they had of people not doing their work and all of those things. That really is an opportunity for folks to leverage and utilize that as a, another a third place, right? So the, some of the challenges that I've heard, though, were also about just that balance that we've talked about. You know, you've, we've talked about transitioning your commute time to work time and working later in the evening and making sure that folks are, are finding that right balance between work and life. That was one of the struggles that we kind of talked about is how do you continue to find that balance and allow people the flexibility they like, but making sure that they control the way that they're working a little bit so they don't burn themselves out. So Amy, I have a question for you from the conversations you had. You mentioned choice and, you know, we're giving people the option to choose in the future, uh, home, office, et cetera. Did you have any conversations around the qualities or the benefits of the office that we, we need to promote or design for to encourage people to make that choice potentially? Yeah, I think a lot of folks were talking about, you know, we don't have the capital investment right now to transition an entire office space to be this new magical way of working. A lot of it was around what are the things that we can add into the space that we already have to utilize it differently. Knowing that not everybody's coming back or most likely not coming back, we have the opportunity to utilize space much, much differently, whether that's opening it up, moving things around, adding in additional collaboration space to the point of that's why people will most likely be coming in. The idea that people are going to come to the office to do heads down work doesn't really 
impact as many folks today as it did previously, because that might be where they, they do that at home. So I think a lot of folks were thinking about the way of using the workspaces that they have, not necessarily shrinking them, but just starting to differentiate the space differently than they had before, where they had a one-to-one -one seating ratio or a higher seating ratio than necessary for workstations. Now that will start to transition into these other spaces. You say choice, and I know Drew brought up the magic word um, autonomy. And it seems that in this environment, when you can work from where you want to, there's a little bit more control. Now, I know that's insensitive to the folks who would rather get away that maybe have small children that are driving them a little bit crazy. What does the workplace need to be when folks are ready to come back? So when you talked about the 20-60-20 thing, Drew, that reminds me of like binomial distribution. So those 20s are the things on the extreme edges. What do we do for that 60 in the middle? The folks that want to come back, what does that look like? If I can prompt you guys to future look a little bit, you know, what do we imagine this new experiment being, to use one of your words, Amy? Well, I think, yeah, the lesson learned, right, is that it is an imperfect experiment. So if we're going to two to three years in time, look back on this and draw conclusions from this experiment and try to apply them, we have to recognize that there's a big asterisk next to the experiment because there were a bunch of mitigating variables. I love you said my binomial distribution, so let's just start throwing <laughs> out math terms because <laughs> I'm yep. a dork. Um, yep. But you know, one of the things we heard is typically historically a component of solving for a workplace design problem was solving a math problem, and a, an input to that math problem was essentially taking headcount growth and trying to allocate that growth to different component, you know, parts of the building and to try to identify different types of employees or workforce and give them personas, and then to say, to what degree will they be using all these different spaces, right? That sort of problem solving is very fixed. And I think that the future is very fluid. So for that 60 in the middle, this hybrid workforce that has autonomy and choice, their demands are gonna be shifting on any given day. And now there's a market for workplace, right? They have the option to elect, do I work here, do I work there? primarily here and there being home and office. And when they come to the office, there's a secondary market. Do I work you know, in any one of a number of, of different ways or manners or, or with individuals? And so if I went back to that, the old methodology, right, this kind of fixed methodology, in addition now to understanding how many people you have and their preferences for work, it's now imperative to, to forecast variability within the manner in which, in, in ways in which people work. And we've been talking about analytics for a long time in workplace design, but it's becoming a real thing now, especially if we empower people to make choices so that the workplace becomes to look more like a market. <laughs> and if it is a market, right, then the workplace is a product and it's good to know what the demand is for those different products in the, in the workplace environment. And there ha really hasn't historically been a way to capture that. If we look at the consumer marketplace, right, like there's, there's great shopper data, but there's not great shopper data in the workplace environment. So I think that you know, that is going to be fundamental moving forward. A lot of organizations are talking about installing sensors or empowering people with, with applications to, to find spaces. You know, the net effect of that is that the more that happens, the more data there is to analyze. And the more data there is to analyze, the more informed design decisions that, that people can make. So, you know, who knows what the, the future workplace looks like yet, but I think a, a real critical input is going to be collecting, analyzing, and um, using data to make more informed decisions. And that's interesting because when you talk about applications for employees, there's a bit of that regaining control of the environment too. So yeah, I can come back to the workplace, but I know what the air quality is today or you know which spaces are too crowded and where I should or shouldn't sit. 
Amy, did you want to try and take a crystal ball look into the future? Like Drew said, I think some of the things that caught me and in, in my attention were around how do we begin to measure success and productivity looking ahead? Because it is still going to be a mixed environment. You're going to have folks at home and folks in the office. And how do you start to gather data about what those folks are doing when they are in the office? Are they still working independently? Are they working in teams? Do they like a, a lounge setting versus a conference room setting? Starting to gather some of that information, essentially informing what the future could look like, I think is going to be really powerful. Again, folks don't have the, the funds right now to, to completely revamp space. So we need to start learning, looking at the spaces that they do have and the way that they can adapt those spaces in, in small incremental ways to begin to address some of the challenges of the returning workforce. So I think starting to, to measure and really um, take a look at how people are working, what are those things that they're missing in that you know, work from home only mode, to start getting them to come back in and feel comfortable coming back in. I think as that happens, more and more interactions will happen. People will start to see a change in, in the ways that people are working and their attitude about working. And some of that burnout might fall off as they start to interact with yeah. adults and in yeah. other ways other than just Zoom. I think we'll learn a lot as people start to come back. Sure. I, I think for a few folks in the office, I'm going to have to have them bring their dogs or children from time to time because <laughs> now I'm getting used to seeing them. Drew, any closing thoughts from you? Yeah, I think, you know, if we were to take the 30,000 foot view, I think what we've learned so far is, you know, the workplace has a purpose and that purpose is primarily promoting interactions amongst people. You know, that's what organizations are, right? They're collections of individuals working together. Um, in the workplace, it's, it's real primary role is that. So facilitating those interactions. And, and that is hard to replicate in the virtual environment. If and when we solve this problem, you know, as a human race, which we will, that's going to be one of the net takeaways. The second thing is we don't yet know what the future looks like, but there is a way to, to lead through uncertainty. And we've heard loud and clear from end users that the, the most effective way to do that is with authenticity and empathy, to ask people questions, to try to understand how they're doing, to just be your authentic self. And that resonates with people. In addition to that, to forge relationships internally and externally, uh, to seek input and to rely on your internal experts. Brian, you mentioned that this is becoming a bigger problem than just a corporate real estate problem. You know, we heard that the, the demand now is not for a workplace strategy, it's for a workforce strategy. So that means that corporate real estate executives need to be operating hand in hand with HR, IT, um, operations, finance, the CEO in some instances, right? This is a, you know, an all hands on deck problem to solve. And then I think the last thing is, you know, enabling the hybrid workforce is really the design opportunity of the 21st century. The conversation moving forward is going to be shifting away from how many seats should we provide for this you know, employee base to what are the types of collaboration spaces that we're providing? How are we in empowering and enabling people to, to make the most of those spaces? How frequently are we refreshing those spaces to encourage people to get the most out of them? And as Amy mentioned, you know, what is the net effect to, from a productivity and performance standpoint? If we were to look at workplace strategy over the last 15, 20 years, there's never been any outcome metrics that we've been able to point to. You know, the, I like to joke with clients that trying to measure performance is like the holy grail in workplace strategy. But I think that this is going to give us the opportunity to take some, some baby steps potentially in that direction, which I think will have a positive effect, not just on the way that organizations spend money and, you know, in order to provide places for people to work, but hopefully for people's lives as well. Thank you, Drew. Amy, did you have any... Final thoughts you wanted to share from the, your experience with the roundtable? 
Yeah, the only other thing I might mention is, is really around culture. I mean, we talked a little bit about culture and lesson and the lessons learned. Some folks felt like their culture stayed really strong through all of this. And, and I think that is representational of the leadership that they have and the folks that are part of their team and making sure that that culture stays alive. Other uh, companies were kind of struggling with that culture. It really was something that was active in that workplace environment and it, it didn't translate well when it went home. I think though for some others, they're really taking this time to look internally and think about where do they wanna go? Where do, who do they wanna be next? And what culture might look like and might change into as they kind of figure out this new workforce looking into the future. Yeah. Thanks for sharing that, Amy, because it may be the reason folks struggled so much with the long view on what's in the future. It's because there's no one right solution. And I think everybody's waiting for someone else to go first so they can try Absolutely. something. But these were going to have to be bespoke. And you have to start with desire, like Drew's 20-60-20 rule, plus what's the culture that you're trying to build? And does that hybrid version support culture better or worse? Can you support a culture with a distributed team? Can folks literally work from anywhere? As this was going on, I think even Drew, you were looking, well, why do we live in Ohio? We could live on the East Coast now. Or we, <laughs> like, let's go where the trees and the ocean are. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, talent can be anywhere. And I think that's one of the things that has been proven. There's no reason you have to hire in Cincinnati because we are in Cincinnati, right? If the talent is somewhere else and they want to stay there, that's, that's okay. There were some concerns of how do you instill a company's culture in a new hire that has never been in an area with a large group of you, right? So how do you bring on that next generation of workers in a mixed environment or a fully virtual environment? The last thought that I have was in design thinking, there's some steps and it starts with empathy. And we brought up empathy in this, but one of the steps is prototyping. And when you said experiment before, that made me remember prototyping. So maybe there's a solution where people try small things and see how they work and then keep moving forward. Instead of doing a big capital spend, we're going to blow everything out and start from scratch. Try a thing first and see if that works and then, you know, scale it. Absolutely. Well, Drew, Amy, thank you both for joining us. Thank you. Thanks, Brian. Thank you for joining Trends and Tensions, presented by BHDP for this episode, The Resilient Workplace, The Long View, with Amy Malmstrom, Lead Architect on BHDP's Workplace Team, and Drew Susco, Workplace Market Leader. If you appreciate what you've heard, please rate, subscribe, and give us a review. I am Brian Trainer, your host, and I hope you'll join us for another episode of Trends and Tensions to see what topics drive design.